Well, it's Palm Sunday, and I can honestly say I've never experienced a Palm Sunday quite like this one. Have you? And I imagine that's true wherever you're making your connection with us today, whether it is right here in South Florida, Christ Journey Kindle, Miami Beach, Gables, Christ Journey in your house in South Florida, or across the nation in the 50 states, or around the world literally from wherever you're connecting with us today, this is a Palm Sunday like no other. You know, Palm Sunday marks the day of Jesus' triumphal entry to Jerusalem. Blue skies, bright sun. I imagine on the surface, it was a day of celebration, happy voices, cheering loudly. And yet, just beneath the surface, a more sinister and deadly undertow was also stirring. On Sunday, the voices of the crowd were praising, blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, glory in the highest. And yet within the week, the crowd would be shouting, crucify, crucify him. On Monday, Jesus would clear the temple of the money changers and open the way so that Gentiles could enter for worship. On Tuesday, he would be back in the temple again, but he would be teaching about the end of the age, the signs of his second coming, and how we need to be ready for his return. That's a good word for us today. We need to be ready today, this week. If he comes next month, this is the time to be ready. And then a little bit later in the temple, he would notice the widow who was dropping her last two coins in the offering and commend her for her might. Then he retreated to Bethany where a woman would anoint him with expensive perfume. Gethsemane would next be on the agenda for that week in his betrayal, arrest, then the trials before the Jewish and Roman authorities, the flogging, the Via Dolorosa. You know, one month ago, literally, a group of us from Christ's journey were walking the path of the Stations of the Cross in Jerusalem. And then he would be nailed to that cross and die. Crucifixion was uh, an excruciatingly painful and shameful type of capital punishment. It was reserved for the most notorious criminals. And yet here, the one of whom it was said, I find no fault in him, is now going to bleed and die from that cross. It would be the hardest week of Jesus' life. But in, just, in John's gospel, it's recorded that before the anointing in, Beth, in Bethany, that Jesus withdrew to a wilderness place, a, uh, an uncultivated hill country near the desert outside Jerusalem. We're not told what he did there. We can imagine it being a time of retreat, of deep abiding in the Father, the sober reality of what's to come weighing heavily on his mind as it would soon be weighing on his body and on his soul. But Jesus withdraws to a wilderness. John eleven fifty four. Now, I love the wilderness. I love the mountains. I like to feel the breeze. I like to, to uh, be in nature and see wildlife in the wilderness. But in the Bible, when wilderness is mentioned in the Bible, it usually means something significant. 
for the uh, hard-hearted and rebellious Hebrews who disrespected Moses and disobeyed God in the, the book of Exodus because of their unbelief, it was a negative. They spent 40 years wandering around in the desert wilderness because of that rebellion. Deuteronomy 1-2 says that they could have made that trip from Sinai to the promised land in 11 days. But instead, because of their hard-hearted disobedience, they're spending 40 years in the, in the wilderness wandering around until the rebel generation dies off. Sometimes, wilderness involves wandering because of rebellion. Did that ever happen to you? But not always. After God brings the people of Israel through the Red Sea, and yet before they meet Yahweh on the mountain and he gives them the Ten Commandments, they're led through the wilderness on purpose. Moses intentionally brings them through the wilderness. They're not wandering lost. He brings them through, leads them through to Sinai for a purpose. John the Baptist wasn't lost in the desert either. He was there on purpose. He was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And then he baptized everyone who came to him ready for a change in their life. That's Matthew chapter three. In Matthew chapter four, after Jesus was baptized by John, he was led by the Spirit into the desert, into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. John, I mean Jesus, then spends 40 days in the wilderness. I'm wondering, at the close of his ministry in the wilderness, he, if he reflected on at the beginning of his ministry, the 40 days he spent there when he overcame the evil one. And then once again, refocuses for the challenge before him. You know, the saying goes, not all who wander are lost. And it's a lesson scripture affirms. Some find sacred space in the wilderness. Jesus did. How ironic that what appears to be a wasteland actually holds riches of the Spirit waiting to be mined. That the wilderness, it turns out, is fertile ground for experiencing God in fresh ways and preparing you for the challenges of life, rich with redemptive potential. And yet, it doesn't really look like it on the surface, right, to a passing glance. After Churchill led Britain to victory in World War II, he lost the general election. He was defeated in the general election. And trying to ease the pain, his wife said to him, well, it may well be a blessing in disguise, to which he responded, at the moment, it seems quite effectively disguised. Maybe you're familiar with those moments you know, at this particular moment, the Prime Minister of Great Britain has the coronavirus. Bet that feels a bit wilderness-like. But the wilderness experiences of Scripture cause us not to be so quick to believe our eyes, but to see beyond the disguise, and then to let God make sacred even wilderness space. Would you be willing to let God do that? Make sacred what you consider 
wilderness in your life? That's the question of today's talk. Anything coming to mind? I mean, what are some of the wilderness spaces that are in your life? Something coming up? I'm imagining for some of us, it's going to be financial or economic. The wilderness of financial setback, of recession, of depression. And you may be thinking, well, if you'd asked me three weeks ago, <laughs> I wasn't in wilderness. But now, since Corona's come to town, story's different. People are losing jobs. People can't work. That's wilderness. Or maybe, speaking of depression, that's a word that doesn't apply financially as much as it does emotionally for some of us. Maybe for you or a loved one, there is a mental health challenge type of wilderness that you're facing. Or maybe you feel overwhelmed, like you don't know how long this mess is gonna last that we're in and you don't know how long you'll be able to hold out. And you feel like you're in a wilderness of fear or isolation or mystery or uncertainty or anxiety that is swirling. You know, I have a, a personal music playlist. I would recommend this, actually, if you don't have one, that is sort of the soundtrack of my life, and I have assembled songs that give voice to my soul and inspire me. One of those songs that's on my personal playlist is uh, The Impossible Dream from Mana La Mancha. And I think of the time when um, Lisa and I took Corey and Jess to uh, see Man of La Mancha on Broadway. And Brian Stokes Mitchell was the lead. And uh, Corey was just getting ready to go to grad school. Je Jess was just getting ready to enter college. And there we were, it was a very poignant, significant moment in our lives. And Brian Stokes Mitchell is singing about taking on the impossible dream. And at one point he says this, I shall impersonate a man. His name is Alonso Quijana a country squire, no longer young. Being retired, he has much time for books, and he studies them morn till night, and often through the night till morn again. And all he reads oppresses him. It fills him with indignation at man's murderous ways toward man. He ponders the problem, how to make better a world where evil profits and virtue brings none at all where fraud and deceit are mingled with truth and sincerity. And he broods and broods and broods and broods. Finally, his brains dry up. He lays down the melancholy burden of sanity and conceives the strangest project ever imagined. Now, the quote goes on about his vision to raise up the weak and, uh, and help those in need as a dauntless knight. But the part that smacked me in the face, literally, were those words, melancholy burden of sanity. He lays down the melancholy burden of sanity. Many of us know that wilderness. It seems crazy to not be crazy in this crazy world, doesn't it? Sometimes. The, the wilderness of the melancholy burden of sanity. Or maybe you know the wilderness of physical illness, of medical challenge, of, uh, of a health issue. We're praying for many facing that right now. 
By the way, let me thank you, uh, those of you who have been praying for our little nephew, Theodore John. Teddy is now eight weeks old. He weighs four pounds, eight ounces. That's up from two pounds at birth. Um, you know, his due date is April 24th. He was born February 7th. He's still in NICU, but he is now starting to learn how to take the bottle. So thank you for your prayers. Can I tell you that has felt like wilderness to our family. And some of you relate, I know. Another wilderness that I wish were less familiar to me personally, uh, but uh, perhaps you can relate to, is my own fallen, sinful, broken human nature. Um, the unredeemed, unregenerate part of my fallen self that has risen up. And uh, I mean, I sing the song, perhaps you have too, I once was lost, but now I'm found. And I gotta tell you, some days I feel less found than others. There's a wilderness there, one not unfamiliar to the Apostle Paul, where he struggled with sin in his life. Romans chapter seven, verse 18, he writes this, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. And what I do is not the good I want to do, no. The evil I don't want to do, this I keep doing. Do you know about that wilderness of the struggle with human nature inside your own soul? And there are other wilderness spaces that I haven't mentioned, like relational hardship, or cognitive dissonance, the intellectual challenge of faith, or um, the uh, spiritual drought, like when God feels absent, there's no fresh word, there's no fresh bread, there's no sense of his presence. It's just like, man, I'm in a wilderness here. What about that kind of situation? Or how about situational wildernesses? A challenge where that, that is beyond our control, that exposes our limitations and, and makes them apparent to one and all and kind of upsets the fruit basket of our status quo and, and leaves us wondering way out of our comfort zone. Can you say COVID-19? And we wonder what could possibly be the good in any of these wilderness scenarios? I don't believe I can answer that for you, but God can. And I think I'm supposed to tell you this. Your wilderness can become sacred space when you learn how to pay attention to God in a new way. Your wilderness can become sacred space when you learn how to pay attention to God in a new way. What kind of way? Well, a way where you learn how to hear the inaudible. <laughs> how, does, how do you do that? Well, a wilderness can help you. Where you learn how to see the invisible. How do you do that? Well, a wilderness can help you. Where you learn how to feel the intangible. How do you do that? Well, the wilderness can help you do that. In fact, it's helping us do that right now. Consider this. Our adversity becomes God's opportunity to help us see 
in a new way. What do I mean? Well, I got three examples for you. First, wilderness becomes sacred space when promise becomes provision. God promised ancient Israel that he would deliver them out of slavery in Egypt and that he would bring them in to the land flowing with milk and honey in the promised land. How did he do it? Well, first, he led them into a wilderness where they would have to look to him to provide. Water from a rock, manna from the sky, quail as well. Sometimes, God lets us have a problem so that we can see how God can solve them, so that we can learn how God can solve them, so we can see what faith in God and his word can do. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. He wants to turn those promises into provisions, but he does it many times through the wilderness. Have you thought about how God is still keeping his promises to you even in the midst of this crisis? That's when wilderness becomes sacred, when promise becomes provision. And how about this? Wilderness becomes sacred space when circumstance becomes character. Sometimes God puts you in the fire to purge the dross and purify the gold. He doesn't deliver you from the situation, you've noticed this, but he transforms you in it. In Peter's first letter, he, he writes this, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. That's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. It's not strange or unusual for believers to go through trials. It's normal. It's part of the way God works. Fiery trials. 1 Peter 1, 7. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. It becomes more pure. Fiery trials are like a crucible through which circumstance is transformed into character. Amazing. In a believer's life. When through fiery trial your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The fire will not harm you, I only design your dross to remove and your gold to refine. Receive that from God and then pray this, Lord, would you burn your grace into my character in the middle of this circumstance? Wilderness becomes sacred space when God's grace is allowed to transform circumstance into character. And here's one more, wilderness becomes sacred space when testing becomes trusting. We see this in Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, Matthew chapter four, where the evil one tries to deceive and misdirect him, tries to tangle him up, tries to take him down, right? And what does Jesus do? He turns testing into trusting. And uh, you can do that too. We can do that too. We're all having to trust God more these days, aren't we? in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of this test. 
Some are trusting God now for protection. Some are trusting God for healing. Some are trusting God for provision. God, would you please just get us through this thing? The entire planet is in a test right now. How are we doing? Are you trusting? Are we turning testing into trusting? Now, how would you know that you're trusting? Well, check yourself. First, you're not despairing. That's how you know, you're not despairing. You are turning to God with respect and humility. You may have fears, but your fears don't have you. That's how you can know. We're taking that test right now. And anybody who's ever taken a test or been in one knows that test results can be negative. The wilderness wandering of the rebellious, hard-hearted, disobedient Hebrews was not a positive. They uh, missed the promised land and actually died in the wilderness because of the hardness of their heart and their disobedience. Did you know this? Wilderness becomes destructive when unbelief becomes disobedient. Don't be that guy. Let be the one that lets God lead you, like Moses did, like Jesus did, like John did. Let's God lead you through the wilderness and then learn this, not all who wander are lost. Some are under construction and are coming out with more sacred in their space. That's what God wants for us, for you. Now this week, Vicki Gray, who is a, a counselor, a friend of so many in our church, we asked her, to visit with our staff, to join us in one of our Zoom meetings, and uh, to offer insight about the COVID situation that we're all in as a counselor. What, what are some insights she could offer, some advice she might give? And here's one of the things she said, wherever you were before the crisis, for instance, in your marriage, is now going to be magnified. If you were troubled before COVID, then the trouble will be magnified now. And maybe you know what she's talking about. Maybe you've experienced some of what she's talking about. Our relational wilderness will be heightened. Our rebellion, previously unexposed, may come into view. Our, uh, our past or our hidden addictions may resurface. You know, when you squeeze a tube, whatever's on the inside is what comes out. It's happening now, isn't it? So she offered us insight on things to look for. As we're self-aware, be self-aware, pay attention what's going on with you and in you. And then she said this, we need to give each other space. We need to give people space. We need to be ready to forgive. We need to be trusting God, lean in to the care community that you have and was so thankful for Christ's journey, for having relationships, for her family, for her group, for, and then for us as well. I'm so glad that as a journey family, we have each other, that we have God's word, that we have God's spirit, but we have each other, that we know how to forgive, we know how to be ready to restore, we know how to trust God, and we know how to lean in and share our burdens in a time like this. It's important because Satan is gonna tempt you Satan is going to try to trip you up. 
He's gonna try to take you down. If he tried to do it with Jesus, he's gonna try to do it with you. And it's gonna be frustrating at times, this wilderness of social distancing that we are in. But God is not distant. God is present a very present help in trouble. And God brings us to the wilderness experiences of life to show us that God is bigger and that God has space enough for you. Would you let God bring his sacred into your space right now in this wilderness? Then pray with me. Let's bow together. When it came to Paul's sin problem, that means your problem and my problem too. He said, where sin abounded, grace has much more abounded. Invite God's grace right now into your wilderness. Ask God to bring his sacred into your space. Tell him, Lord, I wanna make room in my life for more of you where your promises can become my provision, where you can turn these circumstances into quality character in my life. So during this time of testing, I am choosing right now to trust you. Believer, trust him. Pray for your family, pray for your marriage, pray for your children, pray for your parents, pray for your brothers and sisters, pray for your extended family, pray right now and ask God's blessing upon every family, every home, every heart that is within the Christ Journey family. And now would you pray that blanket, extend that blanket of care across this nation, across our state, yes, across our city, yes, but across the nation, God, would you bring your healing to our nation? And then let's just stretch it all the way around the world. God, you are big enough, bigger than a test that the world is in, big enough to trust, to take us through. Teach us, Lord, how to trust in you. And friend, if you're joining us today and you have not yet trusted Christ as your savior, then would you take that step today? I mentioned earlier, how can I be ready when Jesus returns? Well, the way to be ready is to trust him now. You can do it right now. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I receive the gift of salvation and ask you now to lead me as I learn to follow you, as I turn from my way to learn to go your way. In your name I pray. Now for those of you who asked that prayer with me just then, I wanna ask God's continued blessing upon your next steps forward and upon your family. Thank you for joining us at Christ's journey. Lord, may your blessing of life continue to flow through their life into every day of this week and beyond as we make our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.